Okay. Well, we welcome you to our services. Pray that uh, the Lord blesses us this morning as we sing and as we pray and as we read his word and preach his gospel. Pray also that the Lord will allow the... Uh, we're having uh, live stream issues this morning. Something must be going on in sermon audio because it's been turning on and off and on and off and it goes by and comes back and we lost the Facebook feed. I restarted it. I hope it runs through the service, uh, but I am going to record it. So if something happens and it doesn't record all the way through for those that do watch us on Sermon Audio or, or through these other feeds, I will, Lord willing, come back up here to the church this afternoon and upload the recordings uh, this afternoon. So with that said, take your bulletin, open to the call to worship. Kenny, if you would, come lead us in call to worship. Please. Let's all stand. To the tune of How Firm a Foundation. A refuge for sinners, the gospel makes known. Tis found in the merits of Jesus alone. The weary, the tempted, the are never excluded from entering in this refuge for sinners God's love did ordain in Jesus the Lamb from eternity slain in Christ the Redeemer who God's law and his justice are now satisfied. Should conscience accuse us as often it may, the blood of our Savior has put sin away by Jesus our surety the sinner can view a city of refuge and righteousness too Amen. if you would take your Bible with me and turn to Psalm 81 Psalm 81 we will end this message this morning back here at Psalm 81 but I wanted to read this together before we go to the Lord in prayer the psalmist writes sing aloud unto our God unto God our strength and make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel the pleasant harp with the psaltery blow up the trumpet in the new moon and the time appointed on our solemn feast day. For this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hand was delivered from the pots. Thou callest in trouble and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Mirabah. Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. Now pay attention to verse 10. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and I tell you, he brought us out of the spiritual Egypt, did he not? We were in bondage just like Israel as a nation was. Brought them out of physical bondage. Listen, he sent them to a land that flowed with milk and honey. For you and me who's been delivered out of spiritual Egypt, spiritual bondage, he says to us, open thy mouth wide and I'll fill it. With what? 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean our bank account's going to be full. Doesn't mean we're always going to have good health. Doesn't mean we're always going to have friends and be loved of others. He fills us with himself, does he not? With comfort, security, and peace. But my people would not hearken, verse 11 says, unto my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust. They walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock. Should I have satisfied thee? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Bless us this morning as we sing and as we pray and as we preach his gospel. All more, would you lead us in open prayer, please? Page 127, page 127. Hallelujah, what a Savior. services this morning pray that if you're here this morning that the Lord has graciously given you and and me ears to hear eyes to hear eyes to see a heart mind and will to comprehend the truth as it is in Christ Jesus pray that everything that we do here this morning at Grace Baptist from start to finish will be to the praise glory and honor of his grace and we would ever and always seek to do exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ commanded us to do he said, and I, if I be lifted up, if I be exalted to the penultimate place, I'll draw all to me. It's his promise that he will use his gospel message. It exalts 
and magnifies and glorifies and honors Christ's person and his word is the God-sent Messiah, the Savior of his people. He will bless that to call out his sheep to true faith and true repentance, and we trust him in it. So I'm grateful for your presence. For those that watch us on Sermon Audio or Facebook Live or YouTube Live, I pray that God in his infinite mercy and grace would allow those streams to run successfully. And then with those remaining videos and audios that are out there, that if there's one of his sheep somewhere, he'd be pleased to bring them under the sound of his gospel and bring them to true faith, even as he said, my sheep hear my voice and they come unto me and I give unto them eternal life. Remember those that are on the prayer list, a couple of updates on some, some that are not on the prayer list. I got a text early this morning from uh, Donald down in uh, Winfield, and uh, they went on vacation. They weren't here with us last weekend, but I'd be dead gum. They come back, and uh, uh, Brenda Kay tested positive for COVID Wednesday, and then Donald said he went to feeling bad Thursday. And from what Kenny told me, they talked with him uh, this morning, I guess. Uh, Donald uh, was so sick, running such a high fever that he had such chills that Brenda Kay was worried that he was going to have a heart attack from, the, from the, the chills that he had from the COVID. But it, fever broke last night. Uh, he texted me, wasn't as honest with me as he was with Kenny. He told me this morning, we're on the mend. So keep them in your prayers, Brenda Kay. And Donald. Also remember a dear brother in Christ, Nathan Chapelier. You remember Nathan. He came down here several years ago, and we baptized him. Uh, he is suffering from rheumatoid arthritis, and they now have started him on methotrexate, which is basically oral uh, chemotherapy. And it has just took him down completely. He just is tired and fatigued and just feels feels awful. So as the Lord directs, remember him in prayer. It's good to see Sally back. We're thankful for the Lord's mercy and grace. Pray that he'll be pleased to keep her out of AFib and give the doctors the wisdom and skill that they need to keep her healthy and with us. We're thankful for your prayers for all those that have been made aware of it if they've prayed for her recovery as well. Remember everybody on the prayer list. I pray that the Lord, not our will, but his will be done. Anything else this morning? Okay, okay. I'm going to start the recording. I don't normally record it, but I'm going to record it this morning. So. Okay, take your Bible this morning and turn with me. I told you, I know I keep telling you I'm getting back to John and I am, but I'm not going back to John this Sunday. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I read a devotional by one of my favorite authors this week, uh, Pastor Robert Hawker from back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, I think's the time frame on him. And it was on this particular passage of Scripture. And I just could not get it out of my mind. I've entitled this message, Laying Hold on Christ. Laying Hold on Christ. People say, oh, Lord, our preacher has become a free will preacher. And you know better now. You know better now. We're going to see, I hope we see, I hope you see, I hope the Lord allows us all to see the things that I have looked at this week. I pray that this will preach the way that it wrote and pray that you'll, for this short amount of time that I'm standing up in front of you, that you will take your mind and your eyes off of me and let's just listen to the word of God this morning and see what he has to say to us through his word. Because this, this, this passage, you know, I can think of two passages that are misapplied and misunderstood and used in wrong ways by false religion. And one of them that comes to my mind, first of all, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. I'll quote it to you in just a minute, but I'm not going to quote it to you right now. And just like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, most well-intentioned, though delusional religious people rip this, those words, these words that we're going to look at this morning, they rip them out of their proper context as the Apostle Paul wrote them to these Philippian believers. And they seek to use words like we're going to look at this morning. Words like Paul wrote to those at Corinth. They seek to use those words to exhort their hearers, those people that are sitting under There might be some preaching on 2 Corinthians 5, 17 this morning. The one you need to emphasize is the whole section there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. Don't just lift 17 out. 
But they'll use this passage that we're going to look at this morning trying to encourage people to more perfect obedience, greater heights of personal obedience, and what they consider good works, while at the same time, you know what they'll do? They'll threaten people, and that's what they do. They threaten people with eternal doom if they don't comply. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, Pastor, you're reading too much into their motives. You can't know their hearts. Well, am I really? See, here's the thing. I thought about this a long time before I wrote it down. I have a unique perspective, literally a bird's eye view. You hear me? A bird's eye view of their motives and of their intentions when they lift these passages out of context and use them inappropriately. You say, well, how can you know that? Because here's the thing. I, too, had the same motives and had the same intentions driving every single solitary thing that I believed and taught when I was a false preacher. So don't tell me I don't know, because I know. Cause I, I, I would, I would, by God's grace, formerly I was a blasphemer, just like Paul was. And I blasphemed the glorious name of my Lord by taking things that were intended for the comfort and encouragement of his people and applying them in a wrong way, trying to coerce lost people to do something they can't do anyhow. You cannot come to him that you might have life. Isn't that what he said? You will not come to me that you might have life. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me do what? Draw him. So why am I going to try to beat you to come? All I can do is tell you the truth. See? And here's the thing. Brethren, my heart's desire. This is me. Before the Lord revealed himself to. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal for God. And Pam can testify, I had a zeal for God. <coughs> and that are not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of the only thing that saves, well, they being ignorant of the righteousness of God, going about to establish their own righteousness. I tell you what, that's what 99% of religions doing today. You say, I don't like those figures, I'm telling you. 99% of what's going on today in churches across this globe, they are seeking to encourage sinners to produce a righteousness. To get right or get left. To straighten out your life and give their hearts to Jesus so that he can in turn, if they'll hold out to the end and do everything that religion places on them, they'll ultimately make it into pearly gates and pay St. Peter and tell them, come on in. being ignorant of the righteousness of God and going about to establish their own righteousness, why do they do that? They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They had not bowed to the only righteousness there is. Folks, listen, outside of Christ, no righteousness. You take what you consider the most moral, upright, kind, compassionate, long-suffering, forgiving man or woman that in history or in time today, they can have all of it and none of it. Not righteous. Not. Nothing that you... Listen, this, this preaching, preached 35 years, it ain't righteousness. I thank God he's not entering into judgment with me based on the fact I've preached 35 years. It ain't coming up. I keep using bad English, but I can't help it. I don't have any other words to express it. The only thing that's coming up is Christ. Look, I'm robed in, clothed in, wrapped in the righteousness of Christ perfectly and completely and eternally. And nobody can take that from me. Tragically, I tell you, I can still remember like it was yesterday, using Paul's words to those at Corinth to be like old Martin Luther would before he the Lord revealed justification to him. He used to go up in the tower and take a cat of nine tails and whip himself over his bad thoughts, trying to get them out of him. And I used to take 2 Corinthians and I'd beat myself to death with it and I would beat everybody else to death with it, trying to get them to submit, trying to get myself to submit. What were you trying to submit to, preacher? I'd heard it this way. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. 
Behold, all things have become new. And all I could do was look at everything about myself and all things had not passed away and old things had not become new. And so I thought what? I lifted that verse out of context and I thought if I'm not a new creature, if I'm not what I... And that's what that old preacher, that false preacher told me. If you're not something different now than you were a year ago or six months ago or 20 years ago, you probably don't know him. And I'm like, Where's my evidence? I tell you what, I, I, I'd encourage people that if, if they didn't do that, if they weren't trying to be a new creature, if they weren't trying to straighten out their life, they'd better examine themselves. Right? Make certain they're not a false professor. But Paul wrote this, and this, this is the verse that, that they use to get try to accomplish this. This is our text for this morning. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Boy, that's some confusing language, isn't it? Read it in it. You ought to read it in an amplified version of the Bible or read it in Young's Literal because it gives you some, and I, I hope I can give you some understanding on these words the way he states it this morning. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, and see, that's where they get, they get hung up on that apprehended. They say, see there, you can't know. That old false preacher used to tell me, you cannot be too cocksure for heaven. Matter of fact, he would stress this, if you are certain of your salvation, you're dishonoring God. While the exact opposite is the truth. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. What's he doing? He's reaching for Christ. More of him. More comfort. More security. More. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, was that the purpose that God the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? And Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 to try to coerce men and women to legal mercenary obedience? Was that was he trying to get you to, to do something where you'll get a star in your crown or not do something so you won't get whipped and beat and your house burned down? Was that his intention? I, tell, I want us to look at it, these verses in their proper context. So that's the only way you can understand anything. You've got to have it in its proper context. In hope and in prayer that God the Holy Spirit will be pleased to draw out our hearts to a greater awareness of who and what we are in Him and what we actually possess right now in this life. And in order to correctly understand this, you've got to go back to the start. <laughs> you think, oh, God, Pastor, you got to. you got to go back to the origin. And you got to ask this question. Who is Paul encouraging by these words? Context is everything. These words Paul used, not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, for, but I follow after that, I may apprehend. Brethren, I count myself. That's another, in verse 13 he uses that. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. They're not an expression. These words are not an expression by the Apostle Paul that his salvation was in doubt. Nor were they meant to cause undue worry and anxiety and fear and dread in the mind and understanding of those to whom he wrote these words. See, Paul speaks these words concerning himself as one who was eternally secure in Christ Jesus, and the Spirit moved him to write to them these words to those who possessed the same confidence he had. Think about how Paul started this letter to these Philippian believers. Listen to you. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. To all the saints, to all the saints which are at Philippi. Who's this letter written to? 
saints. I'm not talking about St. Christopher like the Catholic Church or St. Peter. We're talking about a position, every child of God. I hope you realize, if you, if you don't, you, you're, you, you ain't studying the Word the way you should. What are we? Huh? We're saints. Now, Catholic Church is wrong. You don't have to wait 20 decades or 30 decades for somebody to install you into sainthood. Every child of God is a saint. Matter of fact, we can go further than that. Not only are we saints, what are we? We're priests and kings, every one of us. All of God's children. And he says to these saints that are in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, the only way God can be a, have grace and peace toward anybody, he's got to be reconciled to them. So whatever he's trying to teach here by these words the Holy Spirit's inspired, inspired him to, to write, it's to people who are already saved. They're not people that's trying to get saved. The scriptures, all of them, are not about people trying to get saved. Particularly the epistles, they're written as encouragement and admonition of those who are saved. In verse 29 of, of Philippians chapter 1, he said to these same saints... And that word saint, actually when you look it up, it means holy and separated to God in this world. That's what it means. For unto you, the saints, made saints how? Through Christ Jesus our Lord, by God's grace and mercy. It is given unto you on Christ's behalf, on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on his name, but to suffer for his sake. Philippians chapter 2, Paul called on these saints. Now, this is so important this morning. He called on these saints, which includes not only them, but who? Every saint in every generation, every believing sinner in every generation. He calls on us. Listen to this. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Let those words sink in a minute. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I got to thinking about that phrase. That, that word translated this mind, you know what it means? It means to be of the same mind. That is to say, agreed together. To cherish the same views together. To be at harmony one with another. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Now you ask yourself this question this morning. Was Paul calling on sinners who by nature are dead in trespasses and sin? Those who are unregenerate and lost to be of the same mind, that is to say to agree together and cherish the same views and be harmonious with the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what he's doing? Paul wrote to those at Corinth and he says this, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. They're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because what? They're spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual, he that's spiritual, judge all things. Yet he himself, think about that, think about it. Yet he himself judged to no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Let this mind be in you. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? That he may instruct him. But listen to his word. But we have the mind of Christ. We're in harmony with Christ, are we not? We believe the only way our sins can be put away is how? Through Christ's obedience unto death, his bloody sacrifice, his righteousness Impurity. You consider what he had said of himself and all those redeemed. We, Philippians 3 3, the first part of this, we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in human flesh. Mm, 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 mm. I tell you, whatever, whatever Paul's speaking of in our text, is only what those who are justified and sanctified 
and sure to be glorified based on the accomplished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, know and understand to be their experience. Whatever he's talking about. And see, here's the thing. Before we can do anything by way of obedience that's acceptable to God, we're already justified, we're already sanctified, and we're already fully entitled to the whole inheritance of of grace. Folks, I tell you, this is a life or death issue when it comes to salvation by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. Paul wrote this, and if it be by grace then it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. God's elect are justified and saved based on a work they had no part producing. They have no part in maintaining a work done for them by their substitute and surety and substitute and redeemer and mediator and friend and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be it known, Paul wrote to those in or spoke to those in Acts 13, verse 38, 39. This is, I, 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 get, I quote this verse every time we come together. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that by this man is preached unto you. This is what I'm preaching to you this morning if you're a sinner. It's preached unto you what? The forgiveness of sins. Huh? Well, preacher, you don't know. I've tried. The forgiveness of sins. Can you believe that? That something you had no part in. You do not. Like old Aiken, you don't put your hand on that ark. Wasn't Aiken, was it? It was Aiken. What was that dude's name? I forgot. Remember the one that the ark was bouncing off and he read it? was Aiken, I think. I don't know. Don't make no difference. The story's the same. It's good to be forgetful as an old person. I can blame it on me being old. But you remember the story. They were going along there bringing the ark back. And old David was up in front playing the harp and singing and praising God for giving the ark back to Israel. Had it on that new cart and that cart bounced and the ark started off. And he reached up with his hand and touched it to stop the ark, the holy ark of God, from flipping upside down in a mud hole. And when he touched it, what did God do? God killed him. And everybody said, that's just not right. No, because what's that ark represent? That's Christ. And if the ark was meant to fall in a mud hole, where does it need to be at? God don't need your help. This this is not a joint cooperation. This is not God is my co-pilot. It's not what we're talking about. You don't help in this matter of salvation. Ever. By Him. Through Him. Through the power of His Holy Spirit. Through regeneration and conversion. By Him, all that are believing justified. Don't, they don't get, because they believe they don't get justified. It's all that believe, all that are believing. What do they do? They are justified. They're not getting it. They're justified from all things. How many things? Everything from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Don't you wish you could get your hand around your friends and family and make them understand that? Because they've been taught all their lives, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. Folks, sinners are going to heaven. Sinners clothed in and robed in Christ's righteousness. One produced from it. They don't want, to, they don't want any patchwork. Another favorite author of mine, J.C. Philpott, he wrote one of the best articles I ever wrote on progressive sanctification, which is such a damnable heresy that we are in the process of becoming better and better and better and better with each passing day. The scriptures, he said, are clear. The f- God is not in the business of mending or perfecting the flesh in this world. He's not trying to make me something I ought to be. He's made me everything I must be. Where? In Christ. Now with that established, look at verse 12 and 13 real quick give you just a couple of things. Look at verse 12 and the first part of verse 13. 
He says, not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. That's as far as I want to go right there on this part. This word that Paul used, translated attained, he says, not as though I have attained. It means receive or take hold of in the hand or possess or have in your hand, just like I wear this ring on my finger. He says, I have not attained. I have not laid hold of and put on perfectly and completely what I have professed, what I have believed. Now listen, we know Paul had received a lot of things, had he not? By way of his union with the Lord Jesus Christ. This person met our Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus after his death. Our Lord spoke directly and gave Paul his gospel. You believe that? Read the book of Galatians. Spent three and a half years, just like the disciples spent three and a half years with our Lord. Paul did too. Be an apostle, you've got to get your gospel directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord taught him the gospel. All the particulars of it. He had been perfectly justified. We know he had because he told us in the book of Romans. We knew he had been perfectly sanctified. He had been set apart. This man had been set apart from the beginning by our God. To be the apostle to the Gentiles. I'd say that's receiving something. That's an office. He was a blasphemer. Said, thank God that you know, God showed mercy to me. I thought, boy, I was a blasphemer, but I did it in unbelief. And by Paul's own words, you know what he said of himself? He said, I excelled every single solitary one of the apostles in graces and in gifts. But then he turned right around and he said, yet not I, but the grace of God. And I'll tell you what the truth of the matter is. Everybody makes Peter the greatest apostle. Paul was the one that God used the most, it seems to me. Though Peter had great success on the day of Pentecost and immediately after that, Paul went everywhere. Right? For many, many years after that. Yet Paul humbly states what he knew to be true in his own life in his present fleshly state. Not as though I have already attained. Either was already perfect. You know what that word perfect means? It means to carry through to completion. It means to accomplish. It means to finish. You getting, getting any familiarity yet? It means to bring to an end. And folks, it's the same word our Lord Jesus Christ used on the cross, translated by three English words. It's the Greek word teleos. And it means it is finished. To those at Philippi and to you and I as we look at Paul's life, he exemplified what it means to be a child of God, didn't he? One redeemed by God's grace. Yet what did the Apostle Paul think of himself? How did he view his character and his conduct? Paul tells everybody that hears him in every generation what is the present reality in his life as a justified saint and it's the present reality in every justified saint's life. What is it? I know that in me, that is in my flesh, this is, this is Apostle Paul, this ain't Richard Warmack, dwells no good thing. For the will, present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. You hear that? The good that I would, I do not. And the evil that I would not do. Exactly what I do. You know, Paul's words in our text, they're an admission that his knowledge was imperfect. It just was. That his faith was at times lacking. Hear that? And his knowledge, this knowledge that he had of the imperfection that he had, because, not because of anything imperfect in what God does, 
because there's imperfection in you and me as we wrestle with this old flesh and blood that, that still a major part of our lives as we're sons of Adam by birth caused him and all God's elect to cry out what? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Listen, I like being here, don't you? I really like being down here. And I, sometimes I wonder, sometimes I don't like it too much. Because this ain't my home. Yours either. But we seem to, all of us, including your parents, we seem to live like this is home. But I tell you what, I, I know, I know just like Paul knew, this flesh is exactly what it always was. Fle listen, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just not going to happen. And by these words, Paul freely confesses and fully confesses that after every attainment that he had made in this life, and he had, he saw himself to be far short of what he longed to be. If you're ever satisfied with what you are, be dissatisfied. How do I know? Our Lord told us that. He said, so likewise, when you have done all these things, which are commanded you, say what? I am an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which was my duty. If we're born of God, we know and we understand Paul's experience because Paul's experience is my experience. Exactly the same. I was talking with a dear brother this week. The Lord brought us back together after a long time of not communicating with one another and we talked about this for a long time. I actually talked for a whole, whole hour driving home from Shreveport uh, when I was bringing Pam's car back over there. Talked for one full hour. And toward the end of the conversation, we were talking about the reality of what, how we see ourselves. I, I, I've known the Lord now. Better the Lord's known me for 35 years in this present time. And I told him this, and, and he admitted the same. Folks, I tell you what, after 35 years of knowing the Lord or better the Lord knowing me, I see myself as more vile and more wicked and more damnable and more unworthy of his grace and mercy than I ever did when I first believed. And, folks, I see sin in every single solitary thing that I do from the time I open my eyes in the morning to the time I close them at night. And I know that doesn't sound encouraging. But that's the reality. And the thing is, what does it do? Does it drive me to improve? No. What does it drive me to? It drives me back to Him. To His blood. To His righteousness. Right? So what did Paul do? If, 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 if he, can't, he hadn't attained, he hadn't arrived, oh, wretched man at hand, what does he do? Or what are we to do? We just throw up our hands and quit? Well, I can't do anything good, so I just I give up. He says this, but I follow after that if my, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Listen to it in the Young's literal translation. But I pursue. You hear this? I pursue if also I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, when he set his love on us, he will never let us go. And Paul's saying, I am pursuing after the same kind of laying hold on him that he laid hold on me. Do you see that? That was his desire. And I, that's our desire. That phrase translated, follow after, I follow after, it means to press on. And figuratively, it's, it, here's the thing, it's of one who's in a race, and they run swiftly in the race to reach the goal. <coughs> what are we, what's the goal? That I can be conformed to Christ's image by my works? No, what do we want? To, we want to be with him. And I mean, that's what he said already, that I may know him. The power of his resurrection. I love what old Robert Hawker wrote concerning Paul's words here. He said, observe the aim of the apostle Paul. All his pursuits... All his desire was like an arrow shot at a mark to apprehend or lay hold on Christ just as Christ had first laid hold on him. 
to grasp Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ had held and did hold him. Happy desire, happy pursuit of blessed mark of grace. For let the Lord have given out to the soul ever so largely, there is more to give out. <laughs> let him give you everything he can give you spiritually. There's still infinitely more to give out, more to be received, more to be enjoyed. Think about that. And the Holy Ghost who is leading a child of God outside of himself more and more to head him more and more to the enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I want to be. How about you? Look at verse 13, second part of it in, the last, in verse 14. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's words here. You and I as children of God. We've got to learn what the life of God in the soul consists of. Namely to be always pursuing the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. To enjoy more of what we are. And what we've been made in him. And folks we ought to never be satisfied with what we already possess. But by God given faith follow the apostle's example where he says pressing forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You say well boy that doesn't sound very encouraging. Those are the most encouraging and comforting words to the justified sinner. One saved by God's grace. That word press means to persecute or to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing. Christ used the same thing, same word. Here, here it is. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Christ also used these words here. He said, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant's not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted, it's the same word. Persecuted me, what are they going to do? They'll persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they'll keep your saying. And the Apostle Paul used the same word when he wrote to those at Rome, particularly that concerning the Jews. He said, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness. In other words, the Gentiles did not pursue the righteousness of the law. They've attained a righteousness. Even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness. They pursued what? Salvation by the law. They have not attained unto the law of righteousness. That word in our text translated mark, it means the distant mark looked at the goal or end one has in view. And that word prize means the award to the victor in the games actually is a reference to Rome and the Olympics where you get a gold medal. You say, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> now, here's the thing. What's the prize? That's the question. What's the prize? Here's the prize. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's not a mansion over the hilltop. And it's not will there be any stars in my crown. And folks, this isn't talking about some kind of achievement that we will receive if we finish the race. Yeah, I heard that all my life. It's not the one that starts the race, but the one that finishes the race that gets the prize. Can't none of us finish the race. Not one. What's the prize? It's the gift of God. What gift, Pastor? Jesus Christ our Lord. Can't help but think of what Paul, God said, God himself spoke to Abraham and he said this, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield and I am thy exceeding great reward. 
why would I want a mansion over the hilltop when the Lord Jesus Christ is my exceeding great reward? Listen to Mr. Hawker again on Paul's declaration here. He says, in short, to make Christ the sum, the substance, the all of every desire, and ever to keep in remembrance that the more we receive, the more Jesus hath to impart. The more he gives out, listen, the more he gives out, the more he is glorified. And like some rich spring, the oftener we receive from him, the more richly and fully that stream flows. Oh, the blessedness of such a state. To live like this would be heaven on earth, would it not? To be always believing Him, always resting Him, always trusting in Him. He says to always be living upon Jesus, coming to Jesus, thirsting after Jesus, and the more, receive, more we receive out of Him and of Him, to have the soul's desire after Him, the more increase. He gives more. What do we, we want more. I want more comfort, don't you? I want more assurance. I want more certainty in this life. And that's why Paul exclaimed, Mr. Hawker said, not as though I have already attained. But all my longings are so to apprehend and hold fast Christ Jesus as Christ Jesus hath laid hold on me and keeps me in his hand. I think those words here kind of coincide with what we read in the call to worship this morning in Psalm 81. I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth. What will I do? I'll fill it. What do we do? We purse our lips. We're not, we're, listen, we're, we're not prosperity people. You can have everything in this world. You gain the whole world and lose your soul. Our prosperity is found one place. In the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. And see, what he's saying to you and me is this. We are to diligently use every single solitary means God has given us in order to grow in grace and knowledge of him who loved us and gave himself for us. But let me say this, and I'll close. Paul was not teaching salvation by works in these scriptures. And he certainly wasn't encouraging those at Philippi to start becoming fruit inspectors and looking for evidence that they were saved based on something that they had done or something that they had avoided. Because here's the thing. Our evidence is what? It's the record that God has given us. Listen to this. We'll close with this. He that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness. It means record. He has this record in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God hath given of his son. This is the record. Here's the witness that I have this morning. That God hath given to me. Richard Warmack, A sinner by birth. By nature. By practice. And even still by choice. God hath given to me. Given to all his elect. In every generation. He hath given to us eternal life. And this life. Is in me being here at church this morning. Huh? It's in me turning over a new leaf in my life. No, this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Listen, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may have confidence that you have eternal life. And that you might believe. Continue to believe. See, that, that's, that's that attaining Paul's one. Let me, let me believe more. Let me never doubt you. Let me glorify and honor you believing in what you've promised. What? You'll perform it. Do you believe God's record? Do you? I hope and pray you do. And if you don't, I pray the Lord by His grace will give us, even as justified saints, the grace that we need to glorify Him by taking Him out of His Word. And seeking more of his blessings and his comfort and his security, which he freely and richly provides for every object of his love. Let's stand together and we be dismissed. Appreciate your presence this morning. Lord bless you and keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. David Stepp, would you dismiss us, please, sir?